Episode 23 of the Winning Six podcast, official podcast behind the bookpass.com. I'm your host, site's editor in chief, Adam McGee, and joining me this week, as usual, I have Jordan Tresky and Ty Windish. We're almost officially there. It's it's pre-season, and um, the games themselves are going to tip off very shortly. And um, by the time this this podcast gets to most of you guys. There'll only be a few hours left before the, the Bucks take to the floor against the Bulls. Um, so after a long, long summer, um, one with a lot of promise for the Bucks and one that led to a lot of speculation, it's nearly time for basketball again. With that in mind, before we get down to that, there was, I guess it'll, it might be the last piece of, of personnel news. Um, Maybe if it's the last we have to talk about contracts for a while, it'll be no harm because that's, that's what the summer's all about. But finally, much to Jordan's delight, he's been waiting for this. He's been waiting for this for so so long. Um, but John Henson finally extended his contract with the Bucks. He's back. He is. Um, the Henson deal is it's forty-four million, and with the potential to go to 48 yeah. um, based on incentives and that's, that's over four years. Do we do we know the incentives yet? Sorry, because I, I still haven't seen anything. I haven't caught them myself, but that doesn't mean they haven't come out. Um, I don't know, have you come across anything, Jordan? No, I, I, that was actually one thing I forgot to look up. Right? I'm guessing, like, they're fairly, incentives are normally fairly standard, as in there's probably something like if he becomes an all-star, which seems incredibly unlikely, mm-hmm. but that's the sort of incentives that they put into that. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe for Henson, if he makes an all-defensive team or something. Um, but all Black of that... Number, maybe? I think that's... Maybe. That'd be a weird one. That'd be That'd a weird, weird one. one. That'd be you, you, you wrote about that in your piece at the time, I think, but yeah, you mentioned that one. Yeah. there's There's been weirder incentives. I mentioned this on that piece, but I still cannot get over this. I don't know if it was his last contract or the one before, but at one point, Nick Collison and his agent actually negotiated that he gets an incentive if he wins MVP. What? Yeah, that's a real thing. Nick Collison would have gotten like a million or 250K. If I was Nick Collison, I'd be asking for more than a million. I, you get more than a million if you win. <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I think if yeah, I was... Even Every if, if I was on a training camp deal, I'd be saying I want I want an incentive. If I was going to summer league, I'd be asking for an incentive. If I was summer league <laughs> MVP, they should build that into every contract. 
Like, if you make an all-star... It should just be there. Yeah, there should be a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, obviously, it's worth it to the team. I mean, if you if you're, if your player gets an MVP, you're going to make more than you'd have to pay him off marketing. I mean, if someone comes out of nowhere and makes an all-star team and they don't have in their contract a bonus for that, that sort of sucks. Yeah, like Kawhi mm-hmm. should have gotten a nice bonus when he got that finals MVP. Yeah, I think that was that was definitely the sort of thing that was worth its weight in gold. Yeah. Um, for the Henson deal, we talked a lot about price ranges. Um, it was a tough one all summer to actually pin on what was the right value for him, like like with so many other players. We talked about worrying about it going up over do- double digits and really climbing. Another detail I'm not sure has quite come to come to light yet, but the reports are that the deal is front loaded as well. Yeah. Now I'm curious to see exactly what way that breaks down. Um, it, it could be quite a while before we get any real indication on that, but I wonder just how much the books have front loaded the deal overall. Four years, forty-four million. What are your guys' thoughts? I. I kind of thought after um, the early extensions that we saw with MKG, uh, Belchutis, I think they're even the bars. Even he hasn't really he hasn't uh, agreed to it, obviously. But just you see the ballpark, and obviously this summer's free agency. You just see like the where people evaluate the new cap, and it just made perfect sense that Henson, who I think on a different team is probably an a-, a league average starter. I-, I think it just made sense that he was going to get around, you know, eleven million dollars. And obviously, a lot of comparisons have been made to uh, Larry because obviously, after his big season a couple years ago, he got awarded like the same around. I th- actually, I think it was eleven mil per four years. Yeah, so four same, yeah. Yeah, and it just makes sense. I think they're kind of you know, they're kind of that profile. He, Plays off Monroe, and I think it just made sense. Yeah, I mean, um, it's you're being a revisionist if you go back and say the Bucks shouldn't have given Larry that contract. I mean, if he's still playing, and even if he doesn't improve, but he stays the same defensively with a limited offensive game, I mean, that's not a bad deal at all for paying him eleven million this year for that great defense he was providing. I, I don't think this deal's bad at all. I mean, it looks big, but pretty much everything this offseason did. You look at Tristan Thompson, almost legitimately got three years, $53 million, who probably would have seen less minutes per game than Henson will see here. I'm okay with giving Henson four years, somewhere between 44 and 48. I mean, they didn't really have too much else to spend the money on, and now they have everyone locked up and some really good bat- young backups locked up, which means it'll be easier for them to keep these guys around going forward. Yeah, I guess there's a couple of things with that for me. First of all, I think... Jordan makes an interesting point in Henson being probably a league average starter on any other team. And for me, sir, I don't think, well, is is a league average starter really worth 11 million a year now? Is that what you have to pay for, for a league million if starter? I, honestly, I think it's more. It is more. I, mean. I think it's going to be around 15. I think, especially this, you know, we saw with Milton, who obviously he grew it in the second half of the season, but if you look overall, I, I think there's a lot of people, even at the time of the signing, that say, like, he gets that much money? Like, who is this kind of guy? Obviously, they didn't really know what kind of player he was this past season, but 
I just think it's going to be come, become the new standard for at least a couple of years. If you're a starter, you're going to make close to $50 million, whether yeah. your talent is there or not. I mean, yeah. even if the cap goes towards $90 million, though, you're looking at that's around $75 million tied up in your starters. And as, yeah. as we mentioned to describe them, that's, that's a league average starting group. You're not talking about sort of a max superstar in there. Mm-hmm. I don't think it can go quite as extreme as that. I think eleven million is still it's still on the rich side. It's close it's close to what I'd feel as league average, but I still feel it's maybe just a little bit below ten. Um what I really like about the deal is no matter what way it turns out, with the exception of maybe some sort of brutal injury or the Larry Sanders scenario. The books can't really lose on this, and um, because if Henson doesn't develop or become something that they believe he will be, or even something that they need, this is a really tradable contract. Um, mm. I think that that was the most important aspect of the deal. That's what would have worried me if they had gone and paid him fourteen or fifteen million. Is if they paid him that and it didn't work out and he wasn't impressing, so therefore probably wasn't playing that much either to put himself in the shop window, how are they going to get any team to really take a bite on him? At 11 million, I think that's a lot easier. So that's a real trade chip. Well, uh, yeah, especially you look at you said it's probably front loaded. That means after the first year, it's probably around three years, 30 million left. So yeah. that, looking at then, that's really tradable, especially with the Cavs going to be like in that summer of 2016. But the, the other thing about, about a trade ship is, and this sort of sounds funny as in signing players with that thought in mind, but the books don't really have trade ships because there's not a lot of players they'd want to trade unless they're really going to be hitting a home run and getting anyone back. It's nice to have a roster where you have flexibility where you go, well, we actually we have guy A, B, and C who are on good value contracts, contribute to X amount of teams around the league, and they command some sort of real return. That's a nice option to have. Like, say, for example, coming to the time of the draft, there was the talk about Henson potentially going for for a first-round pick. That's sort of thing tied in at eleven million a year deal. That seems something that could be realistic again if the books wanted to go in that direction. So that's that's nearly that's your worst-case scenario. Once again, barring injury or anything unforeseen. Worst case scenario is, well, Henson's a trade chip that could get you something else. Best case scenario, he does develop his game further and he becomes someone who can sort of take on the mantle, play bigger minutes, whether that's off the bench, or somehow find his way back into the starting lineup. Um, How much do you think it factored into the decision? We talked about this before, but nobody has done more for the books in terms of from a community perspective, from a marketing perspective this summer than John Henson. That's got to be the sort of thing that the organization like. Um, Henson's definitely a popular player with the fans. That's got to factor into the deal a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, you think about the last... You think about the draft picks after Joe Alexander for uh, Hammond. And, you know, you have guys like Jennings who's gone. Sanders, who unfortunately you know had his own issues and has you know is out of basketball entirely. Then you have a guy like Tobias Harris who was only here a year and a half. Henson's a guy. He's right now he's going to be the longest tenured of Hammond's draft picks with the team, and I think he's 
you know, he's this is what his fifth or no, his fourth year, but he's seen both sides or every side of the Bucks like equation. Like he's seen the you know, horrible dysfunction that's gone on through the team. He's hit rock bottom. He's hit now now with the team going up in a better direction. You know, he this is his he was even saying during media day and stuff. You know, this is his first season with a coach uh, from this carried over from this from the last season. You know, so it's been a tough time for him, and obviously, he's been a very polarizing figure to a lot of fans. Obviously, a lot of fans sounded off when the extension uh, news came out. But you know, for a guy that's seen every you know, you know, bad, good, every which way how the team has looked over the last couple of years, it's not going to be – I don't think it, his, the extension would have been a unanimous yay. You know what I mean? The team has struggled when he's on the team or when he's been on the team. And the team has looked really good when he's been on the team. It's just hard to kind of evaluate what, how to, you know, structure the – or not. it's hard to evaluate the uh, extension when he's – with all these circumstances that happened over his young career. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely factored in. Um, I, I, I think John Henson likes Milwaukee, but I think he's also very smart in that he's quickly becoming a fan favorite. I mean, everyone loves Jabari and Giannis, of course, but people, especially around Milwaukee, are noticing how visible and around John Henson is and that he's a pretty cool guy. And if he becomes that, 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 even if he stays a bench player, that fan favorite who's always been loyal and everything, I mean, he could end up being on the Bucks for his whole career. I mean, you look at a guy like Udonis Haslam. I mean, how long has he been getting checks for the Heat just because he stuck around? I mean, that was a little different. He was undrafted. But, I mean, if you work hard and just stay on a team and don't make too much of a fuss about your contracts and make sure all the fans love you, I mean, you get paid that way. You there's a little mutiny if you get sold off or you don't get signed. John Henson, I think, is trying to be that guy a little bit, saying, look, I mean, yeah, Jabari and Giannis have star power, but I'm here every day. Love me. The thing that I find sort of interesting about this as well, we talked a little bit about how the books were going to be in a position to have a little bit of cap space again going into next summer if they wanted to. They're not really going to have that anymore. I well, mean, it's, it's not bad because his cap hit would have been pretty high anyway. And for Henson? Yeah. For, uh, I don't know how these things exactly his, his work. His qualifying offer would have been just over $4 million. Um, Right, but it's not like if it wasn't signed yet for some reason, I think it, it takes more out of the cap. I saw some. I swear I saw somebody tweet that it would have been like a $9 million hit because these things work weird like that. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure how that one would work. It's not. I mean, it'd be, it'd be much the same. It'd be the same as the Tristan Thompson situation, because if he didn't right. extend, then he was going into next summer. He'd either be take an offer somewhere else, restricted, or take the qualifying offer with the books. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, uh, I misphrased it. I used the wrong word. His cap hold, not hit. Oh, okay, so his hold. While, okay. while it was up in the air, his hold would have been nine million if they were still negotiating next year. But if we take if we take into account. The extension, okay, so if it is, if it's only two million passes hold, but still there's the chance that they decide they didn't want them and they, they don't match offers on them next summer. If they had gone that route, well, then it's it's 11 million clear compared to now. So for next year, you're going to have Monroe tied in at 17 million, 
Middleton at 15. Um, team option on Jabari at 5.3. We paying Larry Sanders 5 million. Um, Henson now at 11. MCW team option at 3. Um, option to offer Plumley at 3.1. Seems unlikely. Um, Yanis at just under 3 on the team option. Rashad Vaughn guaranteed at 1.8. Tyler Ennis team option at 1.7. Inglis and JOB team options at 980,000. You think it's unlikely they pay Miles 3 mil? Yes. The reason I think that, because when we go through that list, okay, so the players who are going to come off the salary cap off the bill next year, you're talking about OJ Mayo, Grievous Vasquez, Jared Bayless, uh, Chris Copeland. There's a real sort of defined need for shooting guys and scores. And I think they'd be more inclined to draft a, draft a center where they fall or in the second round and sort of give them some time rather than maybe commit $3 million to Plumlee when that could be $3 million they could be using elsewhere. It's far too, far too early to make a call on that. Because yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, Plumlee could have a great season and then that factors into it. But with where we are at with the players here and now, that's, I mean, that's the way I'd be inclined to go. All in, you're looking at around $60 million already. Yeah. If they take up player options on the core guys, I'm not even including Ennis, Inglis, and J.O.B. in that. But to be honest, I find it unlikely they wouldn't take up Inglis and J.O.B. at 980000 each anyway, unless they're terrible seasons. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right about Plumley, but I wish they would trade him instead of letting him go. I feel like he has value. I mean, the books have traded players who actually had value and got nothing for them. Well, so, I mean, a second-round pick is better than just letting them walk. Well, they haven't got second-round picks for for real players, so we're going back to the second-round pick debate. But I mean, they do actually. There's one one pick that is actually usable that they have. It's for this year's draft. It's a second-round pick for the Kings. And where? Where did that come from? Yeah. I think that is from, I want to say, uh, I don't think that's, the Mavs shouldn't have a Kings pick. I don't think the, the Wizards had a Kings pick. I know that the Chicago had a bunch from the Hickson trade, which is hilarious and terrible. Philly has some now, but they got those two late. There's a lot of people with Kings picks. Maybe I'm wrong. It's your, yeah, no, this is tied in with... It's tied in between New Orleans and Sacramento. Ah, um, what deal would that have been? 2013. New Orleans... So, they get the more favorable of the Kings. And they're protected, they're protected 50, 60. 60 in both cases. That was in the Mabah Mute trade. That's what it was. So wow, so the books were actually doing top fifty-five protected picks back at the Mbamute trade. Right? No wait, no, no. It's not top. If they get the if they get the Pelicans one, that's top fifty-five. But if they get the Kings one, that's protected fifty-six through sixty. Am I crazy at reading that? Uh, no, that no. So if it's so if the Kings aren't one of the best five teams, they get the Kings pick. So if the Pelicans are better than the Kings, they'll get a they'll get a second round pick. 
basically. We're all looking at real GM here, right? Yeah, we're all I'm on pro sports transactions. <laughs> okay, well, at least you're on something different because they're, real GM is giving 56 to 60 as well. Protected four selections, no, 56 uh, to 60. Yeah, that's protected four of those selections. So, okay, so. So if it's 31 through 55, they get it. I mean, the fact that we have to go into this detail to try and figure out if the team actually has a second-round pick or not, I mean, they need to do away with protection of second-round draft picks. Yeah, I don't know. I'd say if a team is prepared to give up a second-rounder, they're giving up a second-rounder. I mean, the idea behind it is so that some value changes hands, but the NBA should really be getting involved and saying, what value is there if a pick is protected for the last five spots in the draft? That's unless they expand the draft in the next few years, which there's talk that they'll do. Um, but obviously there's a way to go with the D-League system yet before that could be a reality. Um, that was a thing this summer. There was a lot of random trades where teams got nothing. I mean, I know there's a Spurs-Hawks thing. But you but no, but there's so many. There's, uh, I'm, I'm, working on, I'm working on a piece at the moment um, for, for fan-sided on players who I feel could outperform expectations this season. And in that, you've got, like, Perry Jones um, traded for nothing. It was a top 55 protected again. Um, Mo Harkless traded for a top 55 protected. I mean, so they, I find those deals nearly weirder than some of the veterans because that team's given up on young, talented players. They're only in the league two to three years. And they're giving them away, even though they're not really holding at any sort of. I mean, you're talking two to three million on your cap, if even in, in those cases. It's weird. The Zaza one's the worst for me. He's going to start there. That's a starter. They need him. How could that be the best return you could get? Is, a, is not nothing. For someone who's going to start, if healthy, 82 games in Dallas. You know, if they made that deal three weeks ago and that was the return. I'd obviously still hate it, but I'd go, okay, whatever. Um, the fact that they made that deal, like, if not the day after, the DeAndre like Jordan six deal. Hours after the... Yeah, it was like the, the Mavs could not have been more desperate. Mm-hmm. And it, that, whatever way that worked, whether that was the books picked up the phone and went, hey, you need a center, how about Zaza Pachulia? Or if that came from the other side, either way, you've got to try and leverage something out of that deal. Anything. Uh, I mean, a, a real second rounder, and you go, okay, the, it might just turn into something, but yeah, still, that one's a tough deal too. The worst part was it's a 2018 non-existent second rounder. <laughs> the thing with Dallas is they were a terrible trade partner because they have literally nothing to trade. Their first and second rounders next year are going to Boston, so they can't trade their 2017 pick. They can only swap it, and we couldn't get a 2018 first rounder. I don't know why we didn't trade with uh, Memphis. They kind of need a backup center. What's interesting is it feels like there's a lot of GMs who are interested in sort of doing other teams a solid now. There's yeah. like there's like this environment, this atmosphere of cooperation between GMs and it's like part of it maybe is because the cap's rising and teams are maybe taking bigger gambles than ever they like the idea that look well 
if you've got cap space and you need at this position and we have a guy we don't need, well, you can have him and vice versa. And that sounds absolutely crazy, but there's just been so many cases of those sort of deals where it feels like there has to be a bit of that. There's sort of GMs who have good relationships with each other sort of looking after each other when it, where they feel it's mutually beneficial. I mean, the thing with the, the Zaza deal, it was mutually beneficial in the end for the books because they had to clear the spot anyway. Um, well, they did, yeah. Like, I mean, I would have I would have preferred if they had cleared other guys' spots, um, but they needed to move. They couldn't have four centers. They needed to move one. They chose Zaza. Fair enough. I mean, that's the roster shaped as it is now, and that makes sense, at least at that position. Um, the only problem I have with that is if they were thinking that way at center, why didn't they think like that at point guard? Yeah, I mean that is this the question of the summer, <laughs> really. It's 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 the question. Well, it's, it's now the question of the fall as well because it's we still <laughs> don't know what's going on. I mean, let's yeah. let's move on. Let's move on to some of what we've seen the last week. And to be honest, it's been great because we've seen quite a lot of the books in the last week. Um, NBA TV's real training camp. When I when I saw that announced. I sort of didn't read too much into it. I was like, okay, there'll be lots of canned answers. We might get some footage here and there. And there'll be like a lot of Dennis Scott and David Aldridge laughing, which we got. Like a lot <laughs> a lot of sort of cheesy banter. And what surprised me was the amount of actual real coaching footage we've seen and some of the detail we've seen, particularly with the guys mic'd up. Um, they made a Big deal out of I actually think it was it was Jason Kidd making a deal out of when Sean Sweeney was taking the session that he never smiles. Keep the camera on him, he won't smile. Um, but you could see the way that Sweeney was working with his players. Um one of the most interesting sequences in throughout the whole session and the parts that they picked up for NBA TV was when they were working with Jabari on defense. Um, first, I don't know. Did either of you guys see any of or all of the the real training camp? Yeah, I I caught it when it was live. I think, yeah, but yeah, I, I missed it. This this is gonna be a recurring team. We'll get back to something else. <laughs> no, it's not. Ty's been busy watching. Were the Kings on real training camp this week? I don't know. <laughs> um, do, no, do, only Dewey Duke. It was. Oh, are we talking Dewey Dukin for trade targets for the Bucks? The, Bucks, the Bucks have not got a D-League team yet, um, so there's no need to talk about <laughs> Dewey Dukin's guaranteed. He'll be Time. on the roster. I'm, just, I'm just saying. He won't be on the D-League. up. <laughs> it's your fault, Jordan. Jordan did go off Dewey Dukin. To get back to, okay, to get back to some of the stuff we saw off the Bucks. <clears throat> Uh, you know, I'll get back to Jabari later because let's feed into what we were talking about a second ago, and that was, that was the point guards. Between some of the action we saw at the real training camp footage and then from the book's fan fest and the scrimmage that they held at the fan fest, the second unit is definitely heavy on guards. It's 100% the plan. Uh, when 
opening night rolls around, the, the Bucks are playing the Knicks, or if you want to go sooner than that, when Tuesday night rolls around and they're playing the Bulls in the United Center, once the starting five, who we all know, um, barring injuries, I'd, I'd say for maybe for Tuesday's game, Chris Copeland will, will probably play in place of Jabari. Um, I think that's the one thing I'd read into that scrimmage that was maybe a little teaser of what's to come, as in they don't want to rush Jabari. But that second unit, when they come in, it's going to be Vasquez, Bayless, Mayo. When the season rolls around Copeland and Henson, that yeah. seems pretty clear-cut now, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. How do you guys feel about that? Well, I just think... I. See, the thing about Vasquez that I've liked since the Bucks got him is that he's a great playmaker. Like, obviously, he tends, he'll have tendencies to go for his own points, but he, his playmaking ability just is just so much more superior than where it was with Bayless after Marshall went down last year. And I think that frees up. I think that kind of frees up more. I think this is my reading into how they want to play rota- this rotation is that frees up Bayless to be only viewed as like a shooting guard, which he's able to do to a certain degree. That I don't think he's really the greatest new point shooter, obviously, but he. I think he's a better off-ball player than on-ball player, as we saw many times last year. Where it gets dicey is where Mayo is. Like Mayo as a small forward, that's not ideal. That's definitely not ideal. And even against second unit small forwards, like Grant, he's he's probably he might be a better shooter than other teams' threes at that point. But uh, that's the one. It's yeah. The, I the, I don't know how they're gonna juggle that. I'm I'm still sad we're not. It looks like we're not going to see much uh, Vaughn. That was my worry coming in. I, that... I don't know about that, to be honest. I mean, it's worth mentioning. Um, in the real training camp stuff that we saw, that was day two of camp, I'm going to say. And it was the day before uh, Mayo actually arrived and joined up with the team. And in his place, sort of in what seems to be the second unit, Vaughn was playing the small forward. So... Even sort of in the way subs were rotated around in the scrimmage, Vaughn seems to be the next guy on that and just on the outside. So I think we might see more of Vaughn from the beginning than we might have expected to. Yeah, I was going to say I'd much rather see Bayless. Bayless can be a coach like Josh Powell was last year or something. I hear he's wearing a lot of a lot of sweatpants and long sleeves. Yeah, I don't I don't know what this is about. I mean, it was one thing in practice for the scrimmage even. He wants I mean, he's he's ready. He's the new coach. He's <laughs> he's the new Jason Kidd assistant. I mean, Bayless just obviously doesn't wear shorts unless he technically has to. Unless unless a referee is going to stop him from playing for not wearing shorts, he obviously just doesn't do it. I, f- I, I found this fascinating. It's maybe have like a bad rash or something. Maybe he had a bad rash. Oh, I don't want to... The books have a bad rash. It's called Jared Bayless. <laughs> oh man, Jared Bayless will never ever sit down with a Q and A ever. That's we'll never get him. He might be traded. I mean, 
No, that's what I was saying. I'd much rather see the second unit be Vasquez, Mayo, Vaughn than anything else. I want to see Vaughn get... I mean, that the fact that people think that he's not going to have significant minutes, and if that does happen, that bothers me. Because if he's not a commodity, that pick was. That pick was worth something at the time. Bobby Moore is still on the board. That's that's not. But a it would have been that's. I I I I agree with what you're saying though, but I think it would have been the ultimate. It would have been the same thing. Bobby Portis no, and he's not, he's having the same problem with Chicago. No, I don't. I don't mean to to take Portis instead. I mean just to not get anything right away out of that pick is annoying. But I mean that's how the draft works. I mean rookies don't come into the league and start in the rotation straight out. He could be in the rotation 15 games in. But, I mean, it's not wise. We've talked about this, and obviously it's for a player who didn't come in with the same sort of talent level as Vaughn does. But we talked a lot about how Johnny O'Brien was really thrown in at the deep end. Okay, that was starting, which is not something you're suggesting. Yeah, no. But at the, at the same time, you've got to let guys just adjust to being around. Let let them observe. I mean, that's worth, that's worth its own sort of as a learning experience to the players. Let them sit on the bench and watch how NBA players play. Let them get a feel for what it's about because it's completely different. It is, this isn't college anymore. I mean, I, I feel he will get a good run. I wouldn't be upset if he doesn't get any sort of run in the first 10 games because that's, I mean, that's the nature of you're a rookie, you're coming into the league, he's got to earn his stripes. Well, he does, but I mean, if he's not getting, I mean, just give him five minutes a game. I mean, he's going to be the, without Bayless in our, our magical world where Bayless says, you know what, I want to coach. He'd still be the third guard and second forward off the bench. I mean, you can you can rotate guys in and out unevenly, so he doesn't have to play full uh, backup minutes. But I mean, from the start of the season, I'd rather see Inglis get minutes over Vaughn. I forgot about Inglis. Yeah, I suppose. And I mean, that's you know, I'm not exactly Inglis' biggest fan in any way. But the reason I'd say that is because. As I'm talking about Vaughn, it, it will do him no harm to be around the team and to observe what it takes to be a professional basketball player. Inglis has had a year of that with this team. Yeah. Um, even though he's been injured and hasn't necessarily been on the floor throughout that, I'm guessing he's pretty well versed in how Kid wants to play, the sort of plays the team run. I mean, if he hasn't been studying playbooks in and out for the last year, I don't know exactly what he's been doing. He's got to have a good feel for what the books are about. So if we're talking one guy to get those minutes early on in the season that isn't maybe going to be even in the second unit, I'd rather see Inglis than Vaughn. I think Vaughn will probably get them. Getting back to that that second unit, the problem I have with it, Jordan sort of hit the nail on the head in describing it. I just see it a little bit differently. In every sort of, in every glimpse we've caught of the team this week where they're running any plays with that unit, Vasquez brings the ball up. Vasquez is the ball handler, and Bayless is playing completely off the ball. I hate that idea. I really, because Vasquez, Vasquez is Vasquez is much better than Bayless off the ball. I think he's better than him on the ball as well. But if I was comparing, well, is Bayless better with the ball in his hands or playing as a shooting guard? I'm still inclined to go with the ball in his hands. I know part of that is you could say, okay, well, if Vasquez is bringing the ball up the floor, we won't have any of those plays that I go on about quite a lot, but Bayless is particularly guilty of where 
he runs up and there's a quick isolation and he takes a stupid shot within five or six seconds of of the shot clock starting. Um, so obviously that's an advantage to having someone else with the ball in their hands. Being Vasquez, Vasquez is gonna take some of those shots as well, I'm sure. Um, that's that's one problem. Mayo is definitely an issue, but that same issue with Mayo, with Mayo and guarding, say, trees, even if they are backup trees, that's going to come down to the two as well, whether that be Bayless or Vasquez playing off the ball. Defensively, that's going to be an issue. Um, thing I find with that that second unit, the starters are really going to need to lock down defensively. And then Henson is going to be kept really busy trying to trying to protect the rim because there's not going to be a whole lot of defense anywhere else on the floor in that second unit. That's just something. It's it. There's positives to it. I mean, when you look at that group of players, as much as I might make fun of Bayless or as much as we've, we've joked about Mayo in the past, I mean, both of those guys can score the ball, and you add them with Vasquez, Copeland who can shoot, and Henson who. Even Henson has these games where he comes in and scores 10 points in no time at all off the bench. That's a really productive offensive second unit. Defense can be pretty ugly, though. Yeah. How how badly does this second unit need Kendall Marshall at the one right now? Like, seriously. I mean, I know... I, don't, I find that impossible, though, Ty, just because... It's uh, point guard is not the problem there. I I do. I think Kendall Marshall would have been a better option. Well, as far as defense and distributing. Imagine if Bayless is gone and the second unit is Marshall, Vasquez, Mayo, Copeland, Henson. I think the biggest problem is that there's going to be no defense defense on the wings. Yeah. Because that's traditionally now in the NBA where teams have some of their best defenders. Even on a second unit, you're going to find guys who are 3 and D specialists and they're going to go up against Bayless and Mayo. Well, that's where, that's where like you said before, that's where Inglis comes in. That's where that could have an effect. Obviously, he's you know technically a rookie, but he has a different... It's going to be a different rookie year than any rookie, really. He knows how to play defensively. Problem is, I feel like they might go with him as a four more than a three. That's very Pacers of them. That's... He has more. He does. He does have the size. I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, it's well. Tuesday we'll probably get a better shot yeah. of what they plan on doing, but I just feel like they'll. Try to do the instant offense, second unit kind of thing, like you said, and see how it works from there or something. I don't know. It's funny <laughs> how the books are going to go from, like, in, in any given game, they'll go from being a really, really big group with the starters to sort of ultra-small ball. And this, this idea keeps coming up of three-point guards. And I just wish nobody would ever speak about it again and hope if kid is thinking about it, he completely forgets it because it's a horrible idea. Can I, can I posit a random idea that might be terrible? I legitimately just thought of it. I've never thought of this before. Okay. It won't take that long, maybe, unless it's good. What if, because what if, they're obviously not going to be good defensively, and with Vasquez and Bayless and Mayo, that pace might be too high for them to be a plus lineup. 
because I don't think we're going to see much judgment in between the three of those and shooting. What if they didn't go small and they went Memphis style and just went really big and posted and controlled pace when their backups are in to slow games down? And then if they are negative, at least they won't get the score won't get ran up on them. If they just do Plumlee and Henson out there, both of those guys are at least decent offensively. See, I I'll think post and slow things down. I think he. I think they could do that, but I think what they what kid would do is he'd put Vasquez, Vasquez, Bayless, and Ennis out there with those two guys. Like uh-huh. that's that's exactly the sort of scenario where he go three guards. I still. I mean, why not Copeland though? Why not Inglis? Why not anyone who's not gonna just chuck a shot as fast as he can get I'm, the ball? I mean, I, I, that's the only way I. Can, I can currently imagine them playing three guards, is if they see it as a way where you'll have various players who can initiate play and you'll have sort of a triple threat to to get the set moving, and then on the opposite end, I don't know, you're nearly, there's nearly a clearly defined sort of front and back line with that. Yeah, there is. Um, it's, it's sort of, it's... It, in many ways, it's logical, but it just completely breaks with all sort of basketball convention. Uh, if they yeah. would just put a, a mid-sized three in there, I feel like I mean, I mean, maybe it's. But disaster. I don't, I don't think they have mid-sized trees because. Yes. But see, the problem no. is they're probably short on fours, so their mid-sized trees have to become fours, and that's where. Well, I'm saying just in this big lineup, this hypothetical Plumley Henson grind down the clock Grizzly style thing. I don't know. I just think I, I I just can't see I can't go behind it because it's just they're so young and athletic to just go so slow it's such a disservice to what the team is. You know what I mean? Like I mean they they ran a pretty methodical offense last year. I mean this would be obviously different than a ball movement thing. But that was but that was more that I think that was more necessary because we don't no one was really like a lead dog. Everyone was kind of like on the same even play field. Now you see like where like kind of where players stand and where they're kind of like their trajectory is going. Like last year, I don't think even though I was like Jabari, obviously was really you know a second overall pick, all this stuff. Was he that much better than Jared Dudley? I mean, it's his rookie year. Like that's the thing is that everybody was I felt like was on an even playing field, and that's why it was such a weird team to gauge from the beginning. That now that you have a little more time under certain players' belts. Obviously, not Jamari is one of them, really. But you see, like, what Giannis, his strengths are more defined. You see, even though he had a mixed, you know, couple or brief uh, half a year with us, you see where the MCW's strengths are. You see there's more kind of, like, more known about these guys. That it makes more sense to kind of, See where they're. Well, I, I at least I hope they kind of do a little different something with the offense. But I agree with that. But I think part of the reason why there was less parity between the starters and the bench last year was because the bench was just better. Because yeah. if you take everyone at full health, there mightn't be a whole lot of a difference between Jabari and Dudley. At full health, though, Dudley was a sub. Ursan was as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then you still had Bayless and Mayo there, and and Henson. They were in their, they were in their actual positions, though. I'm yeah, and there there was a logic to that. I mean, yeah. 
my my ideal maybe we'll go through with, with you guys and see what you think but my ideal bench five at the moment <sighs> would be something like May, uh, Vasquez Mayo Vasquez Mayo Copeland J.O.B. and Henson and I think Bayless obviously offers more than J.O.B. right now on the floor but I just I feel more comfortable with the shape of the team in a more traditional sense without going two point guards particularly if those two point guards are going to include Bayless mm-hmm. you know I mean I, if, if we were talking about Ennis in a two point guard lineup I feel more comfortable with the idea of Vasquez and Ennis sharing duties on and off the ball. I just it's it's nothing that's built into Bayless in terms of shooting and he likes to shoot and he's not necessarily efficient that I don't like anything that's going to encourage him to play off the ball and look to get shots. I, I don't think Ennis could survive off the ball. I mean his his redeeming grace last season was passing. His he shot like thirty five percent and his defense was not good. He's very small. I, I don't I don't know what it, I don't know what he would do off the ball. I, mean, I think I he's he's a good enough shooter. I mean thirty five percent isn't bad and particularly for a rookie. But even from college he, he showed enough that uh, but his shooting stroke is pretty solid. Ty. I it's mean it's not bad. But I mean, you got to make the shots. Yeah, but I I don't see why he couldn't make shots as well as a lot of the others, as sort of a spot-up shooter. Now, the, the most valid part of that is definitely his size, because, yeah. I mean, to, to score over some of the guys, or maybe just to get enough space. Um, well, and just, you got to think about the other end, too. I mean, if, if he's at all at shooting guard, and he comes up against Jimmy Butler, it's 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 sad. He's not going to be able to... the same for Bayless. <laughs> Oh, it is, but I mean, Bayless is at least used to that kind of thing. I mean, he's played it two before. This would be all new for Ennis, and you'd be saying, well, you're going to go up against Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade and whoever Cleveland finds, probably JR. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about Ennis as anything but a, a very solidified one, if he's going to play. A little bit of a side note here, but I guess it plays into as well, talking about Inglis. I can't remember what it was. Was it maybe maybe it was when they were warming up for the scrimmage or it might have been from the, the real training camp footage. Um, did you see, Jordan, any of the any of the stuff where Inglis and Yanis were going one-on-one and they're doing oh, yeah. a lot of post work? The thing mm. that I found about that was, one, Yanis' defense in the post was incredible. Two, sort of worrying, and okay, he's not going to come up against guys necessarily as long as Giannis, but English could not get a shot off properly. He could not get a clean shot off in mm. any way backing down Giannis. And then they switched, and it was just so effortless for Giannis. Um, obviously, there's a big difference in experience there, but I just found that interesting to get a look at that. The whole idea, actually, the scrimmage is fun, because when you see, when you see these guys actually go up against each other, it sort of feels like you learn something new about them because mm-hmm. you never even think about the team like that. You, that's Even when you're thinking, well, who's a better fit for position, you're never thinking in your head, well, how do they match up against each other? Um, it just sort of adds an interesting dynamic to it. And I think some matchups shape up a little bit differently than you, you think in your head maybe. What did you think of the scrimmage overall? I know, Ty, you haven't seen it because 
you were watching some Dewey Dukan highlights video or something. <laughs> but Jordan, <laughs> you were you were there. You were in the Bradley Center. What did you think of it? I thought it was great. Obviously, it was you know first look at <laughs> maybe not actual basketball, but it was some basketball in general. But the thing that stood out for me right away was Monroe was playing really high, doing a lot of like the passing stuff that I think we kind of. I didn't see too much of Detroit to be honest last year, but you, I saw like certain games that he was when he would be you know be really effective. That they started playing really high. Obviously, Jabari looked really really great. You know, hit a couple threes, some uh, showed some explosive dunks. Giannis had like Giannis had like one athletic dunk that was like it looked like he jumped up for the free throw line. It was just a weird angle they. That he took it from, but it was really cool to see. And uh, I'm trying to think of what there was one other thing too that popped up. I can't remember, but yeah, it was a really cool thing. What was it? Job, my man. J. <laughs> he, I, I thought he looked good. How was his again? He was going against mostly Monroe. I think maybe some Plumley, something like that. But I thought Middleton looked great. Middleton, yeah, that was the other thing. From the off, really like, from as soon as the game started, Middleton, anytime the ball went to him in the post, yep. it, was, it was an easy bucket. I mean, whether he turned and faded away or whether he sort of took short hooks, I mean, no matter what he did, it was going in to begin with. His three-point shot was a little bit off. Um, yeah. but that's that's just going to be rust. Um, mm-hmm. But it just looked so effortless, and I guess Middleton has has a knack for making the game look like that. Maybe it's just sort of his size and the way he, he moves. He moves sort of gracefully for his size compared to some of the other players. Like compared to Yanis is a smooth mover, but there's still something about him which is just so long that it's not quite... It doesn't look natural. For Middleton, it doesn't <laughs> look his size. He moves like a much smaller guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really impressed with how Middleton looked. One thing that I picked up on... I don't know if you noticed actually in the arena, Jordan, but Rashad Vaughn looked a completely different player than he did in Summer League. Yeah. Obviously, there's a, the difference in competition level, but the most interesting was Vaughn was so confident in cutting to the hoop in Summer League. He had two or three really bad missed layups in the scrimmage. One mm. which was so bad, it was just like, complete panic at getting near the rim and having a defender try to contest the shot. I sort of felt watching it, there was a bit of a difference maybe in him sort of going, it, it looked a bit boys against men at times with Vaughn. Um, did you pick up on that? or? Yeah, I saw, yeah, definitely. He had, you know, before he saw, like, the, he had missed the basket, it would be like, oh, that's a really good cut, and then, you know, obviously didn't finish, but he had a couple of defensive plays, too, where he, mainly because the offense, like, they're, they're kind of miscommunication or something like that, he came off a, like, a curl or some kind of something like that, he just stole the ball and went up for a layup and made it. And other times, it looked like, a, you know, a rookie. He was standing in the corner, Waiting, you know, waiting for like the rotations of the ball moving around, stuff like that. So it's he definitely looked like a rookie. And compared to like you know, Inkless, it would actually I would say it was like a kind of like a juxtaposition. Like Vaughn, like really, he didn't have the greatest I don't think efficiency in some league, but he looked 
you saw something there, like you saw like a real prospect and, uh, and just the confidence there. Where Inglis struggled, obviously he, his foot was a big concern, but just him getting out there, he didn't really have the conditioning with it. But yesterday, he just looked really confident. He had a couple, you know, why did he make that kind of decision? But he looked really confident, made a lot of cool cut or good cuts, and made a couple of baskets. And uh, just really, I was really impressed with what he showed uh, maybe in 12 minutes, I would say. So I think that part of it is just that's, that's a comfort level and a confidence with his teammates. Because on yeah. a personal level, he knows all these guys really well at this stage. He's he spent the best part of a year with them. Where for Vaughn, this really is sort of the beginnings of it. Like, uh, although a lot of the guys get together and work out, and there'll be many of them who were sort of working out at the books training facility, we'll say in the last month or so anyway. Um, mm. That's not always the case for everyone. So there, there could be some guys in that team who Vaughn hasn't spent a lot of time with, doesn't really know yet. And I guess it's only natural for that to be a little bit daunting. Um, so yeah. that's the thing. That's the advantage for Inglis out of all this. No matter what his actual talent level is, his comfort with being a book, he should be much further advanced than most rookies coming into the league. And I think that can that can work out. Like even think obviously at a much higher level, but say for example, someone like Blake Griffin who missed his what should technically have been his rookie season through injury, but then was able to come in and hit the ground running in when he was healthy. And I think it's easier to do that and to deal with expectations when you've greater familiarity with with your teammates. And although he played some last year, that could be a factor for Jabari again that mm-hmm. It sort of it sounds counterintuitive to say it, but he could make a bigger second year jump just because his basketball IQ or his understanding of how this team plays and how he can fit in with within that has sort of progressed and, and moved forward. And that that's an important factor of it. Um moving on from what we saw in terms of play from the books and workout footage. Of course, the other big part of the fan fest was the unveiling of the alternate jersey and the alternate court. Um, so, now, when I say the unveiling, I don't know if you guys had seen it at the time, but I mean, I first saw that jersey, I think it was June. Um, something that, like that, yeah. The, the sheet of all the leaked new NBA jerseys, which everyone was like, oh, this isn't going to be real, and it literally, as one by one they've been ticked off, everything has been real on it. Um, I'm going to let you guys talk on this first. So what are your thoughts on... We'll start with the jersey. I uh, I think the first... I think when you see the drawings of it, you're kind of... And especially how blurry they were, you kind of look at them and it's like... What is that? You know, you can't really. You see the 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 logo in it, but it wasn't like anything really that discernible. Even like the number, you just like what what is that white mark? You know, kind of thing. But with maybe I was a little biased, but see it unveiled live and with a little different, you know, kind of uh, what they 
spice it up without like oh fear the deer and all this stuff. It looked really cool like this just as a total package. I thought it was a nice looking jersey. It's it's something different. You were taken in by the propaganda, is basically. I was taken in by the propaganda, I'll admit. <laughs> but it was uh, it looked it looked nice. I thought it was uh, different. It was just you know it's a different kind of jersey. I I was I'm trying to think of what. I know, like Oklahoma City, like had like an OKC Pride jersey, but it it was basically just like a a, a, a Thunder jersey, but with sleeves. Like it wasn't anything different. This one looks a little different, than, at least with the numbers too. But like just having like that big of a logo on it too was kind of cool. But I I was I, I liked it. Adam knows this. Uh, people who follow me, I tweeted very vigorously about this. I I. Effing love these jerseys. <laughs> I really do. Maybe I'm just simple. I like plain black jersey. That's a really deep black. I'm, I'm looking at a picture of it now, and I'll sort of go through why I like it because I, I know someone here may have some some uh, some other reaction to this jersey. I like things about this jersey, like the fact that it doesn't say Milwaukee or Bucks on the front, and there's a precedent for doing that in dope jerseys like the Warriors. I believe their jersey just has the the big circle with the bridge and then the number in the circle. I like that. I think people know what team it is. It says so on the TV screen, and if you're there and you don't know the team, well, that's really really bad for you. You I like have, that you have no play. idea how, how well you're setting me up for my counterpoint here. So keep this. Oh, no. <laughs> that's fine. Um, I like that the numbers in the antlers. I feel like your eyes is automatically drawn toward the player number. I like that there's little things about them that are on all three jerseys, so it's kind of like a, a, a set. There's the, the color stripes on the side, which the, the Bucks came out and said what each color stands for. Um, they all have a little M on the bottom of the collar. And there was one other thing I thought. I can't remember. I love that it doesn't have sleeves. I was petrified that we were going to get either a pride jersey or a different jersey with sleeves. There is That's going to be a sleeve jersey, reportedly. They're going to have a fourth jersey? There is reportedly going to be some form of Pride jersey. I um, hate that, I like was, that, that. That came out in, what was that? Was, it, was that a couple of weeks ago, maybe? It's about a month ago now. Um, I definitely wrote about it. Why are they going out? There's literal data that shows people shoot worse than sleeves. I think that corrected itself a little bit, even in the NBA. And um, from year one with guys with sleeves to, to year two. Well, I mean, if you keep introducing it to more teams, then it's going to be year one for the Bucks when they get theirs. I don't know. I don't like it at all. I don't like... I mean, you can wear under, undershirt sleeves if you want. Anthony. Yeah, so this, this, was, um, this was from the slam piece on the whole redesign um, where they oh, yeah. to double down Cartwright, the creative agency who basically did most of the work for the redesign. Um, and the quote was, after the DNC team solved their primary logo puzzle, they developed the team's home, away, alternate, and pride t-shirt uniforms. Oh, this just sounds stupid. Why would you wear a t-shirt if you're in the NBA? You should wear a jersey. Well, I'm going to talk about this jersey anyway. Um... I just want everyone to know I was gracious enough to let other people make their points everyone, first. Everyone take a quick sip of your hand <laughs> and prepare. I think it is completely bland and unimaginative. You can call it simple or... Um, subtle. 
Subtle was subtle was the word Ty used to describe it to me earlier when we talked about this. Um, I'd call it not subtle but underplayed. Um, I agree. It's nice not to have Milwaukee or the Bucks on the jersey. What I would have done is I would have had Cream City on the jersey. Yeah. What that can, that's the one that I, that could be I the pride because they still have a color. I mean, I doubt they're going to use one of the three colors. I mean, a pride jersey though is going to be worn like these are only going to be worn four times in the year. Pride jersey might be worn twice. Well, that's I fine. I'd still I'd have something with closer ties to the city, still as the alternate jersey. I mean, I, I actually think that is the Hornets. The Hornets alternate is Bull City. Nice. It's, yeah, they're new, they're that new one, right? Yeah, I. I th- I think this was this was where Cream City should have come in. Secondly, I like that they've carried over the rainbow panel on the side to it. Maybe they should have taken a little bit more influence from that. And what I mean by that is do something different again. Keep the keep the whole exciting and different part of this rebuild of this uh, rebranding going. I would have loved to see a blue jersey. Just because it would be completely different, they've they've made a conscious effort of involving blue, um, throughout the whole rebrand, and making the point of, I guess, tying it to to the lakes and things, trying to find reasons to tie blue into Wisconsin. But if they're going to do that, well, let's really shake it up and let's have a blue jersey. Let's let's offer something different. This just seems a really safe, and a really nineties offering. I mean the. The massive logo. I hate it. I absolutely hate the massive logo. You don't logo. like the new logo? I like the logo. Do you, I don't do like it being the only thing on the jersey. There's also a number. I do don't like... Sorry, go on, Jordan. <laughs> the one area where I thought maybe it would have looked better, at least a little more cleaner, in my opinion, was not had the... Well, also, I don't think you could have this in the NBA, but if there was a way to get not have the number... And like that, like you know, kind of like the collar part, and just only have the number on the back, and just have the the deer logo on the front. Yeah, I I hate the one thing I hate about the new logo, and it's not actually it's nothing to do with the new logo itself. It's just the way that the books and their creative people seem to do. They've got this obsession with nestling things within letters and sort of <laughs> creating shapes out of letters, combining letters to make other things. And just sort of leave it alone. I mean, there's so much space on this jersey. From a design point of view, I get that if someone obviously wanted this to be simplistic, but bring the logo down a little bit and make the number actually a number. I don't know. To me, this looks like a summer league jersey. If it, if you removed the rainbow panels on the side, this is the plainest sort of black and green vest that, that guys are going to wear at summer league. I mean, the logo is supposed... It's it's fierce. It looks fierce. It's going to be staring people down. It stares right at you if you're looking at someone wearing the jersey. Uh, it, it does. Some, you're, mean, you're buying into the propaganda, too. It's not <laughs> propaganda. I think it's a clean-looking jersey. I haven't seen any propaganda. You haven't seen the video? No, I haven't seen the video. I saw the picture. Um, so I guess I wouldn't buy the propaganda. I, I, mean, I just... I, I think it's so bland. I don't... I, I don't think it's it's not like the simplicity and the subtle and the clean. That's the home and the road jersey. They got that perfect. Like they were they were simple and they were clean. Yeah. I don't think this, I is, wonder... this is like just it's lazy to me. I mean, there's no design in this. 
let's put the logo, let's make it so big that it nearly takes up the whole of the jersey. Oh, what color will we go with? How about black? I mean, I, I just feel like it's sort of it's a half-hearted way of finishing it off. I would have loved to see a cream jersey or a blue jersey. If you're involving those colors in it, at least make it different. Blue is so overused, though. Not that many people wear black jerseys these days. I don't, not that sort of blue. I mean, if you went with a blue and cream jersey. I think the 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 because I think when they announced or when those the colors came out, not I don't know what happened. It was at least they were leaked. I think people that was the instant number one reactions. I want a cream city jersey. And I think it was this year's about kind of like I don't think really anybody outside of Milwaukee really knew that that's their nickname. So I, I could see them sticking the fear that, oh, besides you, Adam. That's a strong point. Uh, besides, but like having like, you know, kind of like the new alternate, the black one this year, and then having next year be the Crib City alternate, and then having that stick. I'd I'd love to be as optimistic as you and think that that's going to happen, but I don't yeah. I don't think there's any sort of thought process like that that's going well. Let's gradually break it in. I mean, the other problem I have with this this is the alternate jersey, right? Why is the primary logo the logo on it? I I kind of wish it had the, the the circle one. I haven't seen the. I I wish it had the the one that's the shape of Wisconsin. That one <laughs> that that one just doesn't seem like you could put it on the middle of a jersey. That's bland. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan. I, it's, I, just a, it's just like a, a shape with bucks in it. And I like how I like how when they unveiled the court with that Grantland article, where they said that uh, eventually they were thinking that that could be like the they want that center court eventually. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I think it, it fits. I don't know if it fits on a jersey. I think it fits on a jersey because you can be more creative with, say, for example, your numbering, and you can have things you. Uh, You'd, you'd have one off center, and it actually it would work really well, um, just with sizing. Just purely from a design point of view, I think you can be a little bit more creative with a logo like that. I, they've done their best to be creative with the space that's there, but I think the logo is too big, the number is too small, and there's just not a whole lot else going on. I feel like the jersey just lacks some sort of... I mean, it's just black. This this reminds me of, and I don't know what it is because there isn't a specific jersey that has been like this. But this reminds me of some of the dull jerseys that the books have had in the past. How dare you? <laughs> it does. I think this fits in more with the jerseys they've just moved away from. As in, when you look at it, seriously, yeah, and take take the rainbow panels on the side out of it, and you've got one block color with another color as your trim. I mean, switch it up with green and red, and the only difference is that instead of a word mark, you've got the logo. Well, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, that's like three things you just changed. That's a no, lot of important things. It's it's not really three things, Ty. It's, it's mostly, it's just changing the colors to what your Changing the colors, is. taking out the trim, and switching the logo with the name. That makes, that could make any jersey into a, a standard boring jersey. But, I mean, <laughs> The rainbow panels have only been put in as sort of a lazy way of tying them to the new ones. When this jersey doesn't look anything like the new ones, make it stand alone. This, this is enough on the jersey because we've got the second part of this unveiling to get on to now. And um, 
I'll do the gracious thing again. I'll let you guys talk about the new four first. It's definitely different. That's for sure. Uh, again, I thought actually this I might be in your camp, Adam. I like the logo on the center. I like the shadings. I've always been a fan of the shadings, whatever court it is. Like when they introduced the M's a couple years ago, I like that. But for the most part, it's pretty. It's pretty bland. There's nothing there. The problem for both of them is the black. It's just insipid. I mean, there's nothing. Nothing jumps out at you when you look at it. I know. That's that's the well, green. Even like, even like a team like Phoenix, their like their their court is black, and it just looks so. Ugh. Black as a like the the base side of a court is not look good. But even the difference with Phoenix, it's black. But if I remember correctly, say the text is in orange. If you look at this here, I once again I don't understand just. I don't understand where the thought process is in this. So they have black trim around the court, and the word marks, which are as dull as anything because they've just gone full team name, Milwaukee Bucks, but they've done the word marks in black on black, which is a really slim white trim around it. So it's not, I don't, it just doesn't do anything for me at all. I think that this would look better straight off if the trim was white instead of green and the color of the word marks was green. Instantly better. I think this is one I don't I don't like that that logo in particular, the one that's at center court there. I think it's the blandest of the bunch. They should if they were gonna use a circle one, they should have used the Bucks basketball established nineteen sixty eight one. Yes. I'd cool. agree with that. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. It's on nothing. I just I just hate oh. that. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles logo. <sighs> That's all I can think of when I see that. I from, from when, when the cast was unveiled, and I saw that that original animation that led into the the or at the end of the whole April Fools' joke. Um, yeah, I don't like that. Um, that that one where it showed a wall in this sort of cream color, and there was like a bit of green. I think there actually might have been a tiny bit of purple in there somewhere. But I was like, this is just like an episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is about to start. I and would I have so much better splinter. Yeah. <laughs> I wish that they had put like the sideways deer from those old alternate throwbacks that Brandon Jennings wore. Oh my god. I like the they put the sideways deer in the circle. I don't like that the M in the basketball is what's in the circle because it's so boring. I like circle logos. Some are really cool. My favorite is probably Atlanta Hawks basketball club. Because they're all, oh, we're a basketball club. But it's cool. I like that they're different like that. I don't like I like circle logos in general. I think some of them look really good. New, like Sixers, the new Sixers circle logos look great. Uh, the Sixers, mm. absolutely. I wish our rebrand went like that. Yeah, I think that's... The, I'd like that's that as well. The books, books have nailed their rebrand uh, with the exception of these alternate parts for me. They're, they're 8 out of 10. The Sixers are 10 out of 10. The Sixers, those jerseys. And well, I, I have this thing. I don't like white jerseys, but the two teams who... I've seen their white jerseys this year and have gone, wow... Are the Sixers in the books? I mean, every Sixers jersey though is just. But I mean, that that's part of that thing as well. You see, they didn't feel the need for their alternate to go and do something completely different. I mean, why why didn't the books just go keep it along that line and you've got this really clear identity? I get they want to bring Fear the Deer, which we'll talk about that as well. I mean. Yeah, I don't know why that's still a thing. <laughs> well, it's it's more relevant than ever for it to be a thing because maybe the deer is actually worth fearing now. Um, 
I don't know. What I'll say before we get to that is, what? as much as I don't like the alternate, I don't like the alternate court. That's the execution. The idea itself is genius. Yes. I mean, I like the idea. It's so progressive, and I mean, that's that's something that the books haven't been over the years. Uh, Herb Cole, for whatever he might have been as an owner, him and the people around them weren't progressive, and they didn't think in this way. And this is something I've got used to, because the Hawks have gone all in on this way of thinking. The Hawks considered having, like, an actual black court, rather than just... I want that. Yeah, well, t- I think that that would be different. That would be interesting. They were going to have black with, of course, vault green, as they call it, and stuff oh, like that. And awesome. That that would be absolutely crazy. That's something they still they are talking about. I think the league weren't too keen on it, but <laughs> they see it as something where that taps into the mindset of a younger demographic, the sort of people who play 2K and like the idea of that style of court. But... Just the fact that the books were thinking outside the box like this and have done something like it, they were the first in the NBA to yeah. bring in an alternate court. I'm guessing this is going to become a big thing around the league and it'll probably get to the stage where it won't mean much and we all get bored by it. But if this is the first of it and I don't like the books court, I'll accept it because I'm sure we'll get some really cool courts around the league one way or another that's, out of it. That's true. My problem is... It's like weird timing because they just got a new court recently, and their new court's awesome. Like I really like the current Bucks court with the M's. I think it's a good court. Um, I just I just don't like the this new one is just kind of like even I think this one's pretty bland, the black all around it. The one thing I wish they had done with the alternates logos, I wish they had gotten a little cartoony throwback. Like I think the the Ben Franklin that. Philly did looks awesome. I, I love the Ben Franklin dribbling the basketball. The great thing I, about I would, the Ben Franklin, though, I think I think this is what the books were afraid of in say utilizing the retro sort of sideways deer that I love so, that deer. So many fans really, love. love well, it's, it's it's a great logo, but I think what probably drove the books away from that sort of thing was they wanted this real modern, crisp look, and the Sixers have actually managed that. They managed to get a look which is so classical. Yet it's modern at the same time, yeah. um, which is just it's it's an almost impossible balance to strike, and they managed to do it. And um, so once again, well done to the Sixers on that. The other, the one other rebrand I want to mention, just because it reminds me of cartoons and of crisp uniforms. I'm sad that Toronto didn't bring back the the dinosaur, but those OVO uniforms are great, and I cannot blame them for going all in on Drake. The whole Toronto rebrand is actually really good, and I didn't oh, like yeah. it. I didn't like it initially when I saw it, but it's grown on me every time I see it now. I'm just like, mm-hmm. there's something really clean about that. Um, oh, yeah, just. I I think the the lack of purple is is sad. Yeah. Is yeah. It both cities. It's also, the color, like the Canada colors, though. Yeah, okay, I suppose, and maybe that's a push to be more of Canada's team rather than Toronto's. But as a basketball city, Toronto, when you think of them straight away, the first color that's going to come to mind is purple. Yeah. Somebody needs to bring purple back. There's no more purple. Nowhere. Sacramento's the only team left. They barely... No, Charlotte, Charlotte, sorry. Oh, I have Lakers. What am I doing? Charlotte's purple does not count. I want, like, deep purple... I want more purple in the NBA. Someone needs to rebrand the purple. Okay. 
Um, do you like purple? <laughs> I do like purple. No, I just there, there is some. I mean, I think the best purple jersey. I mean, aside from that Raptors, the classic yeah, Raptors yeah. jersey. Um, I think the greatest purple jersey is. The, I think the current Lakers road jersey is. Actually, is that the road? Yeah. It is the road. It's not the the white's the alternate. Um. I guess there's a lot of purple. I think it's it's hard it's hard to find fault with that jersey. Mm. It's just oh. once again it's a classic look, but it's it's so timeless. Um, the, the thing about those like three franchises like Lakers, Boston, and Chicago, they're yeah. never ever going to change anything. They they, and they don't have to. Yeah, they they really don't. I mean, they don't. It's when you're that successful. I wonder if the Spurs are going to get like that soon. I think the Spurs are like that because even have though they they're... well, they changed their logo recently, didn't they? Kinda. It's always so slight. Like you say that, I I am wearing a Spurs top <laughs> right now with the with the old logo, which is I'm gonna call it teal, pink, and orange. Yeah, they just took out all the color yeah. and they turned the big. I remember reading this in Lowe's thing. I thought it was hilarious. He loved that they like rotated the spur like 15 degrees. <laughs> that the spur tones what did it for me. I was like, I didn't notice that. You had to point it out. That's like when the books adjusted the the height of the B and the K, or the B and the S in the old in the old logo. And I was like, oh, new logo. Um, yeah. We've come a long way. I mean, the books are now having <laughs> alternate courts where a new a logo redesign used to be just adjusting, so all the letters weren't they weren't completely symmetrical. Um, the, what the what the court reminds me of is it reminds me of those. Black and purple jerseys. I, I, I mean, I look at that court, and I'm, I think I'm gonna be watching like Ray Allen highlights, and I'll go, oh, I really like that jersey, but the court is really bland. But that's that's the age it brings me back to, and just everything about these alternates. I don't know. I associate with books of the past. It just puts me in that mindset for some reason. It doesn't feel in keeping. It doesn't have the same. It's I said, it's there's a classic. It's the same that the the Sixers achieved. The books did with their home and road jersey. They're classic looking, yet they're modern. Mm. I just, I, I really would have loved. They should have done something with blue and cream. Do something completely crazy off the walls of blue and cream. But just to do it, I think that keeps in. It's a completely new rebrand. Black is just, black is a cop out. I mean, I like it though. I mean, I think they, they haven't ever. I don't know if they've ever done black before. Ever. No, they've never. I don't think so. I, I like it. I mean, it's. It's only going to be four games a year, and I, I don't know. I think it, it looks really smooth. I'd, I'd like like if they made like a hoodie like that with the stripes on the side. I think that'd be clean. I'd, I'd buy that. I I think Fox I'm Park gonna Park. those those four games. I'm gonna be checking into on radio. You're gonna you're gonna fire up the old radio that picks up American frequencies. You got? Yeah, it's called the internet. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, that's the def definitely the way I I'll probably go is because the court uh, the jersey's really nice. Have I done it? Do you still love a, the jerseys? Have a ticket package for the four games. I still love the jerseys. Is there is there not is there not? I like the fact that they don't have the name on it. But do you would you not do you not think that say having Cream City on it? I mean I I take the point that maybe outside outside of. Milwaukee outside of Wisconsin, that's not something that's identifiable. But all of this is about building the brand. Well, no, I don't, I don't mind that. 
I don't mind that. Yeah, because I mean, isn't Houston like Clutch City or something? I don't. That's they nickname themselves that. I mean, that's not real. I mean, that's not a thing. Yeah, but I mean, it's the same thing though. I mean, it's no one else knows Milwaukee as Cream City. No one knows Houston as whatever they're calling themselves. I it's mean, they, I wouldn't mind it that. It's not that part of it. Yeah, but um, I, I like the this. Uh, I, it reminds me of the Warriors jerseys to me, and I love those are my favorite like regular jerseys. Those and those Chinese New Year ones that they had with the Rockets. Those are like some of my favorite jerseys ever. See, the Warriors jerseys are they're, they're they look like throwback jerseys, and um, because the logo is. I don't. I don't. I think that's my favorite design. I mean, if the, that's like this jersey would look like that if say there was. A circle logo with the old sideways book in the middle of it, in in place of the deer. I mean, that's 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 what I said. I would love that. Yeah, I, I think said, that's, that's said probably your dream. City around that, like the, the book. Yeah, yeah. So, so if we just completely ripped off the Warriors jersey, um, <laughs> but I, I'd be happy with that. I mean, I'd take that. That sounds good. Definitely better than that. Dude, are they gonna sue? The worst thing they do is make a jab the on Nets. Twitter. If the, if that. the logo was a circle, the Nets would sue them. <laughs> the Nets sue, the Nets, if the Nets are gonna sue anyone for circle logos, it's gonna be Atlanta because they just they're they're not happy about the whole we have no more draft picks thing. I don't think the Bucks have anything to fear. Well, I guess it's gonna be Toronto. Be, it's Toronto is the one that the Nets fans got yeah. really upset about. The um, Nets fans shouldn't have friends. I don't think there's many teams that don't have the better of the Nets right now. I think the problem <laughs> is the Nets. The best thing about the Nets was their logo. And that's why yeah, they're, they're, holding, they're holding on to it so dearly because they don't really have anything on the court to, to cling to. It's bad. Except Mikhail Prokhorov's weird workouts. For I actually haven't got around to watching that yet. So fill me in on this. I've seen this and I'm like, it can't, it just can't, is, does this go on for any length of time or is this like a 30 second clip? Or? From what I saw, it's like, it looks like you're watching something from like Rocky IV. <laughs> oh, Oh, right. no. Like, in, the so... in the mountains, chopping wood. Please tell me. <laughs> I want to say he is uh, here. He's going to get every yeah, last Brooke dollar. Lopez trying to catch a chicken. He's, he's, he's oh, getting my. every last dollar out of this team. If they're not going to make him money on the court, he's going to make him go to work. He, like, he does, like, the dribbling exercises, but I want to say he does, like, push-ups on, like, volleyballs. Yes. Which is crazy in itself. Like you can just like fall off the volleyballs and just like. Does Jared Jack punch me? <laughs> no. You no. sold me. I, I want I want the next Rocky sort of. Here, look at this. Go here. Just look up M M Mikhail Prokhorov exercise, and you see him doing push-ups on volleyballs. If you're listening, I mean, you do what Jordan tells you. Yeah. Okay, Prokhorov. Prokhorov exercise. Oh, I see. that but, looks super dangerous. But it's exactly. But to his, but to his credit, he's doing. He's do, He does it really well. I thought you meant it was on one volleyball. No, he's on four. four. <laughs> could you imagine how long could, is it going to take? That's impressive. Brooke I mean, he could probably play point guard. That's dumb. <laughs> hey, Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez. I know what's good for your foot. Come here. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you know why we just gave you that new mega money contract, Brooke Lopez? Come put all of your all of your appendages on volleyballs and do push-ups on a hardwood court. Oh, my, oh, this is amazing. 
I'm watching an Instagram video now, which has all it has all the nets sitting around like children. So this is like, it's like a summer camp, and Prokhorov is dribbling with one hand, and I'm gonna say like bouncing a ping pong ball on a clipboard in the other hand. This is what we would all do if we owned NBA teams, just because you can. Oh wow, this is. We've been sidetracked. Obviously, none of you people can see the things that we're watching, so this is this does not make for good podcasting. But doing push-ups on you, a volleyball. You will thank us. You will thank us when you finish listening and you go and watch all of this. Don't worry, Adam. He wasn't dribbling a basketball. That'd make too much sense. It was a volleyball. <laughs> there were a lot of volleyballs in this exercise for some reason. Like the Nets just didn't have basketballs around. We we, all, we forgot the basketballs, sir. Don't worry. We brought volleyballs. I just, I mean, I love, what's the clip? And there's there's someone else in the background doing the same thing. This is great. Jason Kidd and Sean Sweeney's practices need more of that. Hey, did you, well, I tied it to you, but they had the thing with the, the like, the squishy ball and everybody's, like, running around, like, playing tag or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, that, that was that was funny. The other thing, <laughs> the, the game and they did... This was the thing, I mean, that really sort of disjointed it. I don't know if it was, maybe it was after the second quarter where they took like a 20-minute break like they did after every quarter in the scrimmage. Oh, yeah. Um, but the one where there was the free throw contests with Yanis uh, and MCW and they had a fan each on each, on each team. You probably didn't see this. You, you would have seen it, but not necessarily heard it because you were in the arena. When the the announcer called, it was it was a tie, and he decided that Yanis was yes. going to win. MCW yeah. was so legitimately angry. Yeah, like I don't I don't blame him. I don't blame him. That's a but, stupid way to call a tie. But he 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 was so it. angry. I mean, there was real venom and hatred in it, and he turned back and he he was playing angry, and I think that's why he lost in the end because he was just he was so upset that he wasn't going to win the the free throw competition. Really yeah. bizarre. I've, I don't think I've ever seen MCW angry like that, and that was the thing for him to get angry over. That, yeah, that was the MC skills are very weird. It was like that. Even that wasn't even like the worst. Not the worst thing, but there, there was like some other like weird parts about that. Even with, like the three point shooting, like you kept looking at it and like counting at it, and then just like you gotta pick it up, whatever player it was, and then oh yeah. You just is, missed it. Is that guy... <laughs> see, I don't generally get to see this because I at, at that stage in games, I'm watching, like, loops of League Pass ads. Um, <laughs> like, Russell Westbrook highlights over and over and over or again. Jabari, Gatorade, Carissa, whatever it is. No, see, I don't get any of that. I get I get a loop of, like, Russell yeah, Westbrook's five best awesome. plays. And it, by, by, the, by the third quarter, I want to, like, gouge my eyes out. Is that, why you don't like that could well be why I don't like Russell Westbrook. But <laughs> is that, that was, this was a really long way of getting around to this question, is that a regular MC in the Bradley Center? No. I've never but seen that do before. I had a theory because there was pickup on the microphone where there was two people having a conversation. Yes! And it that was, was like, another weird thing. It was like, oh, yeah, it's my first time or whatever. And I was like, this must be the MC. Yeah, there was, you could hear like they're, they're practicing. You can just hear like. So that's awkward. Wow. You could hear all of that stuff in the arena as well. That yes. wasn't just wow. Yeah. 
Classic books. Ty, oh, you need to go and, and watch yeah, the I need to catch up, yeah. Um, <laughs> you just, you drop whatever important King's news is going on, you, you go watch the books. You know what the worst thing is, is there is important King's news we have to write about after this. That's when you're not getting us onto talking kings. Um, we'll, we'll move on. Um, I guess it's time for the mailbag. Mailbag. I'm gonna make a plea before we start. An impassioned Irish plea. The mailbag. I don't know. I'll say about a month ago. It was full. We got so much mail, it was hard to open it all in time before the podcast started. We went from the 2015 Clippers bench to the 2014 Clippers bench, people. And I'm not happy. Today we got two, and two was actually an improvement in the last couple of weeks. I'm not but happy. if you're listening, and we know, we know some of you listen, at this stage we are aware we don't just do this for ourselves. Um... <laughs> If you're listening, if you like the pod, next week, send us a question. Don't don't even wait for us to ask for questions. If you've got a question you want us to talk about next week, as soon as you finish listening to the pod, send it to us. You'll get to hear your name on the Win and Six podcast. Even if it's barely related to the Bucks. Even if it's more of a general... I don't want to go there. No, let's not do that. We can't do that? Uh, We're not that desperate yet. Yeah. Next if you want one, us to ask non-books related questions, hold off on your questions next week, and then we'll open it up further the following week. <laughs> For now, though, we do have two books questions. Yes. Um, we very much appreciate them. There's, there's some of some of our listeners are slacking. They know who they are. No um, names. Don't mention names. They know who they are. We don't mention the name unless they send a question. All right. Fine. New rule. Okay. That's fair. If they like the limelight, they'll come back. That's First true. question comes from at Troy Sam 73 Yanis versus Parker. One-on-one to 21. Both healthy. Who have you got and why? I think it's easy, honestly. I, I think Giannis. I mean, you just talked about how good his post-defense is. He's taller. He's a little taller. He's a lot longer. He's fast enough where Jabari couldn't just get around him. I I, I think it'd be honest. Just just based on his defense, I, he's Jabari's obviously a better scorer. See, I, I go, I, I'm gonna go Jabari based on his offense on one on one twenty one, just because I think he can shoot over. He can shoot over Giannis. I don't, I don't, if Giannis doesn't have to worry about anyone else on the court, one on one defense. I mean, that's suffocating, man. That's six eleven. I I don't remember what his reach is. I'm not a draft express guy. It's probably seven something. And if he doesn't have to, at least, and if he can just stick right on Jabari, doesn't have to worry about any sort of passing or picks. I, I don't know how many people score on him. Like it's it's tough. He's a lockdown defender in this league. I think that gives him the advantage. Yeah, I just think I've more faith even in Jabari's ability to finish. I think Giannis, he might get past Jabari easier. I don't think he's guaranteed to finish every time, though. Giannis will miss more layups than Jabari. He'll miss more jumpers than Jabari. I'd, I'd go... I'm going to go Jabari one-on-one. Jordan has the casting vote. No, no. Jordan hates this. I hear your, your 
<laughs> your side of the, the case, <laughs> Ty, with Giannis' defense. I hear Adam's side. <laughs> I think I'm going to go. Putting promos right here. Yeah. Uh, I think I go with Jabari. <sighs> See, this comes down to, I mean, this is, we've debated this before, but I think me and, me and Jordan are currently still more on the side of thinking Jabari is the guy where you think Giannis is the guy. I mean, I, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm just, like, right now, I think if they play it, I just think Giannis' defense is crazy good. It is. I, and I think I, I think their, their strong suits and their weak suits match up, whereas Giannis isn't as good on offense and Jabari's not as good on defense. I think Jabari not having played even one full season, Giannis having two seasons in him, I think his offense is a little more polished than Jabari's defense. I think even if the, even if that's a wash, I think uh, Jabari's offense isn't as developed as Giannis's defense right now. I mean, and a couple of different metrics, Giannis either, was either pushing or legitimately in top twenty in defensive metrics last season. All NBA, great defender. I, I, I'd give him the, the nod. The interesting thing about this is just how people read it so differently between those two guys. I mean. A little bit off topic, but um, uh, Jeremy Schmidt did a, a piece over books Cabal this week on tearing the books. That was um, fun. Because divide, divide them into five tiers, and he did go with Giannis as sort of top of the tree in a tier of his own, with Monroe, Parker, Middleton just below them. Yeah. Do you think, though, that's just because... Sorry to cut you off, but do you think that's just because we see Giannis recently play and we have it with Parker? I feel like that's... See, I, yeah, and I, the thing I feel that. with that is every glimpse that I've seen of Parker in the last few months, which is obviously much more limited than with Giannis, but he's looked phenomenal. I mean... Uh, I'm, I'm still... I'm all in on Jabari. I... The more I see of Jabari, even just just some of the simpler things he does, you watch like the likes of that scrimmage, and I find myself having to rein in my expectations for him this season, because he he'll have a run. I think even in the the first quarter that he had eight points, pretty easy, and he was the first player subbed yeah. out, yeah. and it's like it's just so effortless to him, and he gets oh. them, he's, he'll score in different ways, and you watch it, and you're like, why can't this guy average? 18 to 20 points this year. And then you have to sort of go, okay, well, there's there's about 100 reasons why he can't. And there's no need to put that sort of expectation on him. But, like, I mean, if he actually went out and did it, the thing is it wouldn't surprise me. It would be nice. And I, I wouldn't have expected it. But at the same time, it's definitely something he has in his arsenal. It, it wouldn't catch me completely off guard. Well, it's the same thing. I mean, we talked about I think last week. We would take Job. You and me, Adam, would take Job over English because we've seen Job. Um, I think that's what I mean. I think if if you really legitimately could talk to the twenty nine other GMs and get honest answers, Giannis probably has more trade value right now. I mean, he's played in how many multiple more times games than Jabari. He's a proven commodity. Even if he peaks right where he is, which is doubtful because he's twenty. But if he did, you have a really, really good defender 
who's a very good weapon on fast breaks. I don't see. I don't know. I, I I still think that's shaded by your opinion of Giannis because I'd I'd go yeah. to Barry because I think at the moment Giannis is, and my opinion of him is he's going to be great, but he's going to be about just about the greatest complimentary player in the NBA. Where I, I feel Jabari can be that guy, and teams find it so difficult to find a guy who can be their go-to score, who can get them upwards of twenty points. Well, I mean, they do, but you got to look at the, the the injury situation. I mean, it's going to depend on your system. I mean, if you're a team who already has a, a strong roster in place and you have a good score, well, then yeah, Giannis is the guy you go for. I think there's a lot more teams, though, who would take the scoring and say, well, we can fill out our roster with role players or really sort of strong complementary pieces via the draft or free agency. I, Giannis is... He's one in a million in terms of his entire skill set and his physical attributes put together. It just... He's not going to come along again like that, but for... In terms of where his ability is at right now, you can get other players who will fill that role, albeit that they do it differently. Mm-hmm. And I think there might be a longer list of players who can do what Yanis can do right now than maybe Jabari could. If you put both of them, and it, this is it's it's based off so little, but if we say both players have a game where they play to their maximum ability. I don't know. I think Jabari, he'll appeal to more teams. That's that's my reading on it. That's uh, well, no. I think you're right. If we assume that teams look at them both as the same reliability. Yeah. If if you put on a level playing field. Yeah, uh, but I don't think they are right now. I think right now I don't think you. If uh, they obviously don't want to, but if you wanted to trade Jabari, I don't know how many teams would would fork over a lot for him. A real like what he's worth, like he's worth more to the Bucks than anyone else. See, I think the thing people would buy into on Jabari is his attitude. Yeah, he has the maturity that Giannis doesn't have, um, and that's something that comes across every time he speaks. Sometimes it's funny when Jabari speaks because it doesn't sound like a guy who's like twenty years old. Um, <laughs> But it's not like his answers are canned. It's it's sincere. It's just he's so sincere that it's sort of it, you're like this guy can't be real. But it's his, he just has this maturity and this attitude that fits in so well. I mean, you can put him in any situation. Like depending on if you're to call the Spurs and go, you can have one of Giannis or Jabari. Who do you want? I think they probably go Giannis. Yeah, they, they definitely would. But there's plenty of other teams. I mean, if you called if you called the 76ers, you go, you can have Giannis or Jabari. I think they'd go with Jabari. I, I, I mean, I, I, just, I, I think if they do, they're not going to give you as much as they might give for Giannis. I don't, maybe they do. Okay, that's a weird example because Hinky loves guys. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if they want to trade for a guy who has injury concerns. I think right now, Yanis trade value. I don't think it would be as high as you think it is. There are a lot of people. I mean, there are a lot of people that, you know, if you listen to like season previews, 
if they talk about anybody that is going to make a third-year jump, Giannis is like a guy that's additionally added to it. It's mainly because, like we've always, that we keep talking about, is this is his third season of professional basketball, and it's really third season of basketball, like any competitive basketball for him. He, I, I mean, he, he doesn't really grow in a... In a where he was coming out of Greece, that it comes out like everything's so new to him when he comes to the NBA, and it's just like the fact that he even had the jump last year was such was such a victory in itself that it just it kind of I don't know. I think I know I think I think that's that's maybe the best way I've heard of summing it up. I think it's impossible to the problem I find with projecting where Yanis goes from here, and I do think he'll make a jump, but I can't. I just find it so hard to put a number on to where he'll jump. But I think it's impossible to measure him because there's no scale for who Yanis is. Mm. You can't find it. There's not a comparison. You can't find it. I mean, there's plenty of guys who were a Jabari Parker type. The fact that Yanis is unique makes it much harder to project where he goes from here. And that's what gives it such a big... There's such a big gap between that because the ceiling is like... His ceiling is the stars, and we'll say, uh, I don't know, I guess his, on the lower end of the scale, it's still not going to be that low. He's going to be a really strong role player at the at the worst, but I think that's got, that factors into it for me anyway. I don't know about if it came to GMs around the league. I think it would, though, because there's a there's more of an unknown. With Jabari, you know what you're going to get, I feel, as long as his health stands up, of course. Well, yeah, that's 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 the one thing I'm saying is that that's not an of course yet. I, I don't think teams want to trade a lot for a guy who's never had a full healthy season. Well, I don't disagree, but I just he Jabari is such a known. It's there's been guys like them. Like I talked to Adam about writing about a Giannis piece, and I ever since I offered that idea, like I have had I he, there this, is a, yeah this comparable piece player. actually because to give the background to it because regular listeners will know um I can't, who was the first player that it came up on the podcasts we were making oh uh, uh, Batum uh, Batum it was it was Nick yeah. Batum and I, I said to, I said to Jordan at the time I want to see that piece and Jordan started oh, the piece and he tried and then he went I'll do a Sean Marion comparison yeah like and then I and then I think. I listened to the Bucksketball podcast where they, were talk- they did like an audio version of their, their tears, and one of the writers brought up Andre Karolinko, and I was just thinking like, oh, like that makes another sense. Like, there's so many like different parts of different players' games that Giannis, like the Venn diagram, like you see the connections, but as a fully formed player, it's just so beyond what people can, like, comprehend, really, like, at least for me, that it, if it gets to the point where he's a fully formed basketball player and he hits the ceiling that a lot of people think that he could project to, it's going to be unprecedented. It really is. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think he could be uh, a generational player if he develops right. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's got he's got to start making progress quick though for that. Well, he does, but I mean, like like Jordan brought up earlier, I mean, you have guys with the same body type 
you look at you know, your Kevin Durant's and your Paul Georges, who are your 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 forwards, who are tall and lanky. Those guys both have a better stroke. Those guys have both played a hell of a lot of more basketball in their lives than Giannis, and they've had a hell of a lot better teachers throughout their lives than Giannis has. I mean, you got to imagine those two coming up in the states right away. Someone noticed. Look, these guys can these guys can hoop. So they probably right away got on AAU teams, and uh, this I have problems with AAU. A lot of people do, but you you play a lot of basketball and you work with some really smart basketball minds and and shot doctors and stuff. Giannis came up on the streets of Greece playing in Greece's D-League. Uh, I don't think they had the same quite tutelage and raising, so I, I think it makes more sense that he's farther behind. I think if he came over with a fully developed stroke and the defense that he plays, that'd just be ridiculous. I think the the issue I have with Giannis is it his niche overall has got to be defense. If you, I think if you're going to pin one thing on Giannis is what makes him different or what really gives him potential to be special, it's defense. But then if you're to look at him in a bigger picture, I mean, specialist defenders, just very few guys who sort of reach legendary status for being specialist defenders. I mean, you've got Rodman. Pippen is often talked about for his work on that side of the ball. That's... True, but leaving out a lot of what Pippen could do. I know, I know that's that's the case, but I mean that's probably what gets accredited to him most of all. And maybe this this is part of where I have the problem with Yanis is that I don't know what his niche is on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, he's already an elite fast break scorer. That's not enough though, because that's if you're I mean, an athletic player, that should be in your arsenal. Uh, uh, that's just playing efficient basketball. I mean, he's better at it because of his his speed. Mostly, the length of his strides plays a big factor in him being good on the fast break. And then, obviously, his, his athleticism to finish, that so you can just throw the ball up there and he'll go get it. But you need a go-to move that no matter what way the defense are set, you have something that you can do, whether that's you're a really good shooter or you can get to the rim and finish it. At will, and I just don't know what Yanis' move is. Yeah, I don't. It's not even that you can just tr- throw the ball down to him in the post and and see him work from there. Maybe that's something we'll see a bit more of this year now that he's bulked up a little bit. That's that's the question mark for me though. And until I see that, that's what separates him from, say, for example, Sean Marion. If he's the defender, he is. He'll be a great player. Depending on how the books do or how any other team he, he may end up playing for does, he can be that good a defender and build a Hall of Fame case for himself, like Sean Marion has done. But it's to really elevate himself to that next level, he's got to find something offensively that is his move. Because it's not just he has to find something offensively, because he can play offense. He's not a terrible offensive player. But he's just got to find something that's that's his, something that's going to elevate that side of his game a little bit more. I, I just think it's not surprising he hasn't found it yet, considering he has one year of being a starter under his belt. No, it's it's a de- developmental progress. I mean, um, it's going to be he'll he'll jump up a level this year. He will. Um, whether people feel it'll be sort of a massive leap or not, that's whatever people can debate that but he will improve this year 
don't think anyone has any question about that. I think he's already improved in terms of from, say, the playoffs to Eurobasket. His size offers something different. His stroke is maybe a little bit better. So he has improved. It's just about putting that into into practice now and seeing what way it comes out overall. And I would say, or sorry, before. Go on, no, go on. I would say that this talk also applies to MCW. I think we talked about obviously his offensive uh, offensive uh, deficiencies, but real progress doesn't come. I mean, it's really hard for a player to ju- really jump in a in an area that re- they really struggle in a one year, and I think. As long as you see some form of progress, whether it's Giannis Jabari or MCW, I think that's as good as it could be. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm I'm sort of thinking now because the next question, our last question on the mailbag, I think it could lead us back to this again. <laughs> uh, it comes from ask man underscore two no. Does anyone emerge as the best player in the book this year? The uh, somewhere between Jabari Middleton and Monroe, uh, depending on Monroe's defense. That's that's a cop out, Ty. We want one um, name. Oh, um, so now it's okay to cut people off. I one was name. Going to say, <laughs> okay, if, go on. If if Monroe's defense is at least as average as I think it'll be, and he he turns into this gobbling, destroying monster on offense, I think it's easily going to be him. I think people are sleeping a little bit on, on his potential, too, because he's had very limited roles. He's, even in starting, he had to share that backcourt, like I've said a million thousand times, but still, it's, it's, it's still pertinent. I think he's going to come into his own next season, unlike anyone except maybe Jabari. I think Middleton is... He has the gifts, like you've been saying, Adam. I don't think he sees himself as a a first option, even though maybe he could be able to. And I think a big part of being first option is seeing yourself as it. I know we have differing strong feelings about Kobe Bryant, but to be the, a team's primary scorer, you have to believe that you are a team's primary scorer. If, if you don't have the talent, it's just awkward like Deion Waiters. But you need it to be there. You need both parts of the equation. You need the talent and the mindset. I think Moose is going to be hungry, and I think he's going to feast on a lot of back, uh, front courts this season. And I think he might be the best-looking buck on the court right now. Ah, I was initially going to go with Monroe. I think I still believe that he's going to be the uh, an all-star, but I think it, I think it could be Milton. I think if you really look at his numbers. And mainly this is probably my biggest defense of why I think Jason Kidd is a really good coach. There's no player that was affected more by Kidd coming to Milwaukee than Middleton. Middleton's numbers are largely the same from where he was with Larry Drew. A little bit of, I think his splits are obviously different because obviously the night trade really uh, boosted his points per game and, you know, and stuff like that, but what made him a two-way player last year was his defensive side. And he went yeah. from, I want to say, like a steal per game to like a steal and a half per game. And just obviously his defensive rating is plus or minus. Any advanced defensive metric and all this stuff 
really benefited him and how he fits with this team. I think you brought up a good point, Ty. With you know, it is a little concerning that he doesn't want to be the first option, but I don't. Th- ultimately, I don't think the Bucks want to be. I don't think they want to have the, the guy that is the first option. Obviously, there are going to be games where where does the clutch possession go to? But that's it's largely the reason why they traded Brandon Knight. Brandon Knight was obviously viewed as the first option last year, but they want to build a team that they viably think that everybody can be the uh, the first option. Uh, they, they, they have a team like a Spurs or a Warriors, this kind of uh, for last year, to have a team that can build uh, any any position that can you know threaten to make it a tie or a one point game become a win or a lot, you know that kind of thing. So I think Milton to circle back to Milton. I think his He's already he's pretty he's probably the most fully formed out of, outside of Monroe of the players that are going to be starting and I just think that his leap we haven't seen his leap yet we've seen him transform into a two way player but I think he could I don't want to say Jimmy Butler that's a little too much but I think it would not surprise me if he goes from where Paul George was year two to year three. I- I don't, I don't know. Just I I don't mean to to not let you go right away, Adam. I just every time I see him, all 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 I can see is Kyle Korver. I mean, I know you don't like this comparison. Maybe Middleton does a little more ISO, a little more post, <sighs> but just the main parts of their game, they're both very athletic. Which people think Kyle Korver is not. He's very athletic. That's dumb that people think he's not. He's uh, Kyle Korver is very athletic. He while the Hawks were in it, I think he led the playoffs in blocks any player. He's very good defensively. And obviously, Corvus' stroke is a little better than Middleton's. Maybe Middleton can get there. But that's just who I see him as. I, I don't see him as the first option. I see him as the absolutely deadly sniper who, where if you double anyone else, you're going to pay if you if you give him any space. And on defense, a, a more than capable, excellent defensive wing who can at least give top scorers trouble and shut down mid-tier and low-tier guys. That's just what I see. Yeah, you, you know I hate that comparison. I, I just don't know why. <laughs> uh, because even the things that they have that are similar are completely different. So, yeah, Corver is an underrated athlete, but where Corver's athleticism comes in is he has this incredible endurance and movement. I mean, Corver will do more running around the court than anybody else. That's not necessarily the style that Middleton plays. Middleton is a longer guy, so his athleticism is, I guess, it shapes and affects the game in a different sense. Um, that even that translates across to their defense. Then that comes on the offensive end. This is my comparison. Who, once again, regular listeners will know you heard it before. Joe Johnson is what I see in in Middleton. Um, he doesn't maybe even have. Joe Johnson's selfish streak. He, in fact, he definitely doesn't. Joe Johnson's a guy who likes being the first option, or did for a large chunk of his career, um, where Middleton has talked about not wanting that. I just think he has a lot more to his game than that. and I, I don't think he's he's quite as good or ever will be quite as deadly a shooter, as in which just plays teed up for him like that. I, I think long-term, his shooting won't be quite as accurate as Corver's. No. But that's that's not a knock on them in any way. Yeah, but, that's not a knock on anyone. There's never been a better yeah. shooter. The thing with that, I 
I'm I'm inclined to go with Middleton as the best player this year. That's not him as the first option. But I just think when you look at his impact and how he affects the game, and right, it was a scrimmage, and it's not wise to read too much into it, but it's sort of on show. It just when Middleton gets the ball, he's just sort of effective in this quiet way that makes the books better. And he does things with an ease that a lot of his teammates don't do yet. When Giannis makes a great play or if Jabari makes a great play, it still looks like they have to make it a great play, where part of what makes Middleton so good is a lot of his work just looks like, well, that was just sort of a pretty simple, fundamental play. And it's not. Mm. He, just, he just makes it look like that. He's got a sort of an, effortless to, an effortlessness to how he plays basketball. I mean, long term, I don't think he's the best player on the team. There's probably yeah. three guys who are better than him. But I think this season overall, when you look back and we go, who was the book's best player this year? I feel confident it will be Middleton. Um, Monroe will come close. I'm just not quite as in on the Monroe train yet. Um, he definitely has a good shot at becoming an all-star, but until I actually see in real games... I guess see that he wasn't that he was just sort of demotivated in Detroit, and that was the cause of oh yeah a lot yeah. of a lot of the problems that came him later on. Until I see him actually prove that that was the case, and just come out and completely flip a switch because he's in a different city on a different team, and he feels like he's playing in the right position, I'm not going to be able to buy in. Then I've always loved Monroe, though. So if that oh. happens. He'll be the first one on the the Monroe bandwagon and call from to be an all star. Uh, oh. I just I just feel until it actually happens in real NBA play, you've got to work off what we've seen from in in recent years, which has been a really good player, but not necessarily a really good player who helps a winning team. I mean, there's there's a difference between putting up numbers on bad teams than putting up numbers on a team who are actually winning and being successful at the same time. I feel like we've completely flip-flopped on Kyle Korver. Like, while you were talking about the Kyle Korver-Joe Johnson thing, all I could really think was, on this team with Jabari and Greg Monroe, in this situation, I think Kyle Korver is the better player for the team. I think Kyle Korver helps the Bucks more than putting in Joe Johnson right there. I don't, I don't think Joe... I don't... I don't. That's Maybe I'm nuts. I, I just don't... I don't see it. You, you might be right, but the thing is that Middleton doesn't want to have the Joe Johnson role... I mean, his, I think his style of play matches up with Joe Johnson, but I, he doesn't want that role. I mean, I think he has Joe Johnson's style of play, but he will accept the Kyle Korver style. Look, I'm just I'm just here as sort of an extra part role. I just don't know if, if that is a thing that happens. I think it I is when you, when you don't have... I don't have, know many scorers that can ISO score that well that don't want to all the time. But it is the thing that happens when none of your teammates can create their own shot. Well, that's the thing. This you year, do you say this unit can? Yeah, this this year the, they have Greg Monroe and Jabari Parker. I, I don't think Greg Monroe can create a shot, his own shot in any way. No. If you get him the ball in the post, he can. He can. That's not that's not him creating his own shot. Well, Greg you're, Monroe's you're creating shots for him. You're doing plays to get him good looks in the post, and then it's up to him. I mean, Parker. A little bit more, but I I still I think Middleton is if you've one play and you need a, a player who is going to get their own shot, 
it's Middleton. It's 100% Middleton right now. I he's just his. I guess his strength or his shot might not be as good as some of those other guys' go-to move could become in time. But right now, he's at a more complete place with what his skill set is than some of the other guys. And that mightn't be good long-term for him. Maybe he's closer to his peak now than pretty much the rest of the roster is. But I, I, don't, I don't feel that's a problem with balance because... I mean, the rest of the roster isn't particularly shot-happy. I mean, the, there's not many guys... The guys like that who want to choke up shot after shot, they're on the bench. Yeah. The, the thing, Middleton doesn't really ISO score, though. I just pulled up the numbers now. 70% of Middleton's shots this season were assisted on. Joe Johnson's third year in the NBA, 429 of his shots yeah, but that, that, that's the difference in their role. But the point yeah. is, when I, when I compare that, I feel Middleton can ISO score if he has to. And that, that's, yeah, I mean, that's what the second half... Like he's, that's he's what not a lot Joe of the Johnson. I, wish, I really wish Basketball Reference had the numbers on field goal percentage when assisted as compared to when not. I can't find it here. That's something I'd really like to see. I feel like that would really speak to that. You can get that through stats, uh, NBA yeah. stats. NBA stats. Um, Probably not trying to put it up for right now, but no, it'll it'll take too long to filter through and all the way they have their stuff. That might that might be an article though. If if I'm wrong and he's really good at ISO scoring, then then one of you can have the article. That's what. No, we're... you can you can have a knee humble pie, Ty. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll I'll write the article. Fine, I'll write. I'll find it. I'll figure it out. I'll write the article. Sounds good. That's that's pretty much it. Um, in our our traditional fashion of going incredibly in detail on things. Um, we'll be back next week. Let me see how many games are gonna be between now and then. I want to say two. Two would sound like a logical guess. <laughs> then the Hornets, I think the Hornets are playing tonight on, with us recording this on Sunday after playing last night as well. Did they play last Yeah, that, that's a that's, little... Why are you playing back-to-backs in preseason? I mean, weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, so by the time by the time we're back, the books will have played... The Bulls in the United Center, and they'll have hosted the Pistons, Ty Windish's beloved Pistons, in the Bradley Center. Reggie Jackson might score some points. Who knows? <laughs> That's it for us. What? The numbers are glitched. I just found out NBA stats, and it doesn't make any. It says 100% on both. I don't think Middleton what? shot 100% last year. Why is that a glitch? I, I must have misread when Chris Middleton shot 100% last year. Yeah, that's what happened. Maybe, maybe he should be the first option then. <laughs> Somebody tell Chris Middleton. With his uh, offensive rating of like 5,000. <laughs> so we just need to ISO Chris Middleton every time. Every 100%. time. That'll do for this week. Thanks for coming along, Jordan. Thanks for coming along, Ty. Mm-hmm. And let's hope we've got two good performances and even though it's pre-season two books wins would be nice for us to to come into next week's podcast yeah 
make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, check out our articles on the site. Talk to you next week. Bye.